welcome Hive Mind. This is Dr. Amy Pike and Dr. Amy Learn, the Amy's, and you're listening to the Behavior Buzz Podcast, a veterinary behavior podcast that educates and informs clinicians, educators, and guardians. Join us as we set the record straight on the hottest and most controversial topics. I'm your co-host, Dr. Amy Pike, a board-certified veterinary behaviorist, here with my wonderful partner in crime, the other Dr. Amy. And I am Dr. Amy Learn, also a board-certified veterinary behaviorist and co-owner of the Animal Behavior Wellness Center in Virginia with the lovely Dr. Pike. We are coming to you live from the PRN PharmaCal studios with our executive producer, Taryn Blaze. Thank you, Amy's. Today on the very first ever episode of Behavior Buzz podcast, we're going to be talking about you, the Amy's, so our audience, the hive mind, can get to know you and learn about what you do. But before we start getting to know you, let's begin with a little something we'll be doing in every episode. Let's find out what the Amy's are drinking. What's getting the Amy's buzzed today? The hive mind needs to know. Today, I'm drinking our podcast signature cocktail, the bee's knees. Ooh, me too. It's a mixture of honey, simple syrup, gin, and lemon juice. I make this refreshing drink to relax me after a long day of seeing patients. You can find all of our signature cocktail and mocktail recipes on our website, behaviorbuzz.com. That's behaviorbuzz with six Z's because we're really busy. (laughs) 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 All right, Behavior Buzz fans, we decided to start our podcast off with a little introduction to us, your amazing hosts, and what it means to be a board-certified veterinary behaviorist. It's a bit selfish, but we figured it's the best way to kick off our podcast. So shall we dive right in? I will be your host for this episode. So let's start out with a bit of a softball question for Dr. Amy Pike. Dr. Pike, what is a veterinary behaviorist? Oh, that's a nice softball question. I love it. Above all, a veterinary behaviorist is a veterinarian. So we specialize in the diagnosis and treatment of behavioral health disorders. Okay. How does a veterinary behaviorist differ from a trainer? Are there other types of behaviorists? Yeah. So there's a few different types of animal professionals that work with behavior. It really kind of becomes somewhat of an alphabet soup. Trainers are individuals that handle things like basic obedience, agility, and other skills. Behavior consultants are trainers that have more intensive study of behavior problems and modification techniques. And then come applied animal behaviorists. These are individuals that need a graduate degree in animal behavior, so either a master's or a PhD, and can work to treat behavior problems using management and training. A veterinary behaviorist, or a VB as we like to call ourselves, is a veterinarian that can understand animals physical health and continues on to specialize in how that intersects with their mental health, including the prescription of psychotropic medication in conjunction with a behavior modification plan. Hey, Dr. Learn, how did you become a veterinary behaviorist? Well, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) (laughs) It It was a long time ago. So really, we'll short circuit this a little bit. After veterinary school, I completed an internship and went into general practice for several years. That's the long, long time ago part. (laughs) And then I decided that veterinary behavior is really important to me and really where I wanted to focus my attention. So I 
literally cold called Dr. Pike out of nowhere and decided then and there that I wanted her to be my new best friend. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty amazing over the phone. (laughs) So I started my residency with Dr. Pike as my mentor and spent several weeks in Northern Virginia under her wing so that she could show me how it's all done. Yeah. You remember when you even lived at my house and cooked my kids dinner? (laughs) I do remember all those extracurricular things that I was in charge of aside from my I did not. I did not force you to. (laughs) So the other requirements of a residency are to conduct a research project and get that published in a peer-reviewed veterinary journal complete 400 plus new clinical cases, uh, submit several case reports about those cases, and study the behavior of domestic animals, lab animals, food animals, zoo animals, aquatic species, birds, reptiles, everything under the sun. Yeah. (laughs) And if that wasn't enough, then we had to take and pass this grueling two-day board examination, which I still have PTSD from. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the most interesting animals you've treated. Well, I was contacted by an aquarium to consult on a shark that was injuring himself by swimming into the side of the habitat. Ouch. Um, How did you help that shark? We worked together to help improve his welfare and add some enrichment so that he would not be as likely to hurt himself. For this case, we did not want to focus on medication because there's no research to verify how safe or effective they are in fish species. Dr. Pike? Well, I've consulted a few different times with the Smithsonian Zoo here in D.C., and my favorite thus far has been a sea lion that was being bullied by her tank mates so that she would vomit up her fish so they could eat them. The survival of the fittest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> crazy. That's so sad. How did you help her? So just like with any of our patients, we evaluate the environment, the management, the enrichment, as well as the antecedents and consequences of the behavior. So for this particular girl, we did end up putting her on Prozac in addition to some environmental management and behavior mod of the other sea lions because we determined there was also an anxiety based underpinning to her behavior. And while there's no research in these species, like Dr. Lauren said, we felt very confident in being able to do this because there are some anecdotal reports out there um, of the use of fluoxetine in our marine mammals. Tell us a little bit about your favorite cases to treat. So, I mean, it's silly to say, but I really am interested in all of the cases that I see. I think One topic that's really special to me is working with senior pets and their problems. And and there can be so many different problems that they have, uh, even from a behavioral standpoint, including cognitive decline, anxiety, different sensory deficits and how that affects their relationships, as well as different comorbid health disorders. The reason that this is challenging is because obviously dogs can't talk, but more importantly, many things can be contributing altogether. And so I always have to put on my detective hat and identify all those factors so that I can help that pet. Yeah, that's I love being a veterinary behaviorist for that reason. Um, my favorite cases are the compulsive disorders. I, I just find them so clinically fascinating. They're so complex in terms of like the brain neural pathways that are at play. And while they can be very frustrating to treat, they're probably my favorites to see. That is fascinating. Thank you so much for shedding some insight uh, for me and for our listeners. What's up next, Dr. Pike? 
We're going to take a quick break with a word from our sponsors. PRN stands for pro re nada, a Latin phrase meaning as the circumstance arises. Since 1978, the veterinary community has trusted PRN Pharmacal to be here when needed with industry-leading research and innovative products designed to improve animal health and quality of life. PRN Pharmacal is a proud sponsor of the Behavior Buzz podcast and is committed to the physical and emotional health of animals everywhere. PRN Pharmacal, here when you need us. All righty, let's get back down to business. Are you ready for a couple more questions, Docs? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Sure. Bring it on. Here's a question we hear all the time. Can my primary care provider see my pet for a behavior concern? Of course. Yes, they can. But like a cardiologist is a heart specialist, a behaviorist is a specialist that's done extensive work in behavior medicine. That's the reason that many veterinarians prefer to actually refer those cases to us. And did you know that fewer than a third of veterinary schools actually have veterinary behaviorists on staff? And behavior medicine is often an elective course that veterinarians have to choose to take. It's no wonder that many of these vets don't feel comfortable treating these cases. Well, thank you, Amy's, for bringing veterinary behavior to the forefront of modern pet health. How do I find a veterinary behaviorist? Are there a lot of you out there? Um, no, unfortunately, there aren't very many of us. There are currently 95 boarded veterinary behaviorists, but there are over 50 residents in the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists. And we live all over the world, including Canada and Australia and some of us in Europe. I wish. Uh, so we are few and far between, but we are growing. Um, in fact, this year alone, there are 10 residents taking the board exam, um, which is happening in a couple months in October. One of my residents uh, included, which is, this is a college record. So never in the history of our college have there been that many residents taking the exam. So that's really exciting. That is exciting. You can find a veterinary behaviors near you by going to our college website, at dacvb.org. Thanks, Dr. Learn. So what's an average day like in a veterinary behavior clinic? <laughs> Long. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have to drink afterwards. <laughs> no, that's true for all veterinary medicine. Veterinarians are very, very hardworking people. And so in a behavior clinic, we spend lots of time talking and observing we want to gather as much information as we can to figure out what's happening, why it happens, when it happens, where it happens, to whom it happens. And we can use all of that information to determine the real why inside the brain and then work on setting the environment and the patient up for success. Our job is really helping to clarify communication between the humans and the pets so that we can build respect and improve the pet's emotional well-being so that it that pet isn't struggling as much and therefore the humans aren't struggling as much either. It's honestly pretty non-dramatic and boring. Uh, certainly not made for TV. <laughs> but if somebody does want to make a TV docu-series about veterinary <laughs> behavior, come and contact us. We're That's your experts. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking to you, Andy Cohen. All right. So let's get to know the Amy's. Where did you grow up? What's your family like? 
Do you have any pets? I bet they're perfect, right? So perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So after veterinary school, I worked in New Jersey for a little bit. That's where I did my internship and then spent some time in private practice. Um, And then I moved to Connecticut and Massachusetts. And I finally got sick of all the snow. So we moved down south to Virginia. I have an amazingly supportive husband and wonderful 12-year-old daughter. And uh, they have helped me through starting a business with Amy and getting finished with my residency and all the chaos that ensued. Uh, For pets, my house has two dogs and a bearded dragon. One of the dogs is a six-year-old Amstaff, and he knows some basic cues because we actually went to the SPCA Surviving Adolescence class together. And when I got him before my residency, I wanted to kind of check out the trainers in the area. So that's how I found out some of the people that I wanted to depend on. My other dog is a three-year-old Rottweiler who has never been formally trained to literally do anything. He has no basic cues at all. And if I tell my first dog to sit, the Rottweiler looks and goes, oh, I guess I'm going to sit too. And sits because he watches the other (laughs) dog do some things. Sounds like a very good boy. What about you, Dr. Pike? Yeah, so I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, so I'm far, far away from home. Um, I'm one of those little girls that wanted to be a vet from basically the time I could talk. Uh, went to vet school in Colorado, and then I followed the Army and my husband's career all over the U.S. I'm currently practicing under my eighth state license. We have moved so much. Uh, we have two kids, a 15-year-old daughter, a 10-year-old son, and we have an entire zoo at the moment. I have a giant schnauzer, a mini schnauzer, an Airedale, a Devon Rex cat, a hedgehog, and an Indian rec- ringneck parakeet. They are not perfect in any way, shape, or form. I often call them the cobbler's children, um, but they are allowed to have emotions and choice and control in their environment because I want companions, not robots. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your light bulb moment when you knew you would pursue a specialty in veterinary behavior? Dr. Learn? For me, I had been practicing general medicine for a while. And after I moved to Virginia, I attended a conference at National Harbor in Baltimore. And while I was there, I wandered into a fear-free lecture given by Marty Becker. And I realized that I had been practicing behavior medicine with my normal patients every day and kind of figuring out what their struggles were, figuring out what was happening along with all of the routine healthcare um, and, and other vaccines and so forth that I had to do. So why not explore a little bit more into that and see what Fear Free had to offer? What I When I did that, I realized that I didn't want to stop there and I really wanted to be an expert in animal behavior. And so that's when I found out who Dr. Pike was and gave her a phone call. <laughs> I love it. And the rest is history. (laughs) Mine, so mine was kind of, um, I don't know, a little bit more circuitous, I would say. So I had always loved behavior medicine, like from a prevention standpoint, um, and had done, you know, puppy socialization classes and kitten socialization classes at the practices where I was. But I got really tired of general practice. Um, I was tired of seeing fleas and doing my 
flea spiel, as I called it. Um, And since I'd always loved behavior, I just decided um, it was time when we got stationed in the St. Louis area. Um, I knew Dr. Debbie Horowitz, uh, who I had sort of followed her career um, through the continuing education courses and that kind of thing. And so I literally cold called her Um, which is funny because I see a theme here. Did she make you cook dinner for her family? (laughs) She did not. She did not. No, she gave me, she, we like to say that she gave me a post-it note phobia because she would, uh, give me reminders via post-it notes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank goodness that I escaped that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I would love our listeners to get to know the personal side of both of the Amy's. So. Tell us something special about yourselves that isn't related to veterinary behavior. Dr. Learn? No, I'm such a dork. (laughs) No, I can't. So one thing that I like to do in my spare time to decompress (laughs) is knit. Now, I can't tell you that I'm really all that great at it because I am currently working on a sweater that I have been working on for a year, but I'm almost done and I think I'll be done by the fall. And so once I am, I will be sure to post it on our website so everybody can see my talent. Is this a sweater? Like, can I, can I wear this sweater? Like, is it my size sweater? (laughs) It's a real sweater. It's a cardigan. It's going to be a shawl neck cardigan. We'll we'll see how it works out if the sleeves are the right size and they match and I don't know. (laughs) it's all lopsided (laughs) i love it oh goodness well i am not that talented um and i feel like i have no spare time so but i do garden to decompress in fact we just recently planted a pollinator garden in our front yard so if you guys want to share your hobbies too um we would love to hear about what you guys do in your spare time um outside of behavior and veterinary medicine, especially if it's bee themed. So the next segment we like to call buzzworthy. Winning. (laughs) Or buzzkill. We end every show with our buzzkill segment in which we allow our guests to bring up some special story, controversy, the weirdest thing a client or patient ever did or said, and then the hive mind, that's you, the audience, will vote. Is it buzzworthy? Yay! Or buzzkill? (laughs) Well, since we did not have a special guest today, only yours truly, um, please go over to our socials to vote on buzzworthy topics or guests you want to hear from the Amy's in the future. We have so many thank yous for the people that helped us get started and for believing in us. A big thank you to PRN Pharmacal, Purina, and Milena Martini. Excellent. Here at the Behavior Buzz, we know you are all busy bees who live and die by the science like we do. So we will put the references from today's show on the website. So buzz on over to the Honeypot page to find those. Today, we'll put the college's website up on our website so that you can find a board-certified veterinary behaviorist near you. 
And we just want to say a big thanks to all the veterinary behaviorists and all the veterinary behavior residents out there. Study hard, guys. (laughs) And an even bigger thank you to our hive mind. Without listeners like you, we would have nothing to buzz on about. So grab a drink and join us next time for cocktails and conversations. Be positive. Be informed. Now buzz off. While the Behavior Buzz podcast provides clinical insight into veterinary medicine and veterinary behavior, these statements are not intended to diagnose or treat a particular patient. If you have concerns about your pet, please contact your veterinarian or your nearest veterinary behaviorist.